Today's guest on the show is Patrick White. Patrick has experience in both the accounting and education field, and most recently shifted his efforts back into accounting. Patrick is also a high school varsity coach for St. Francis out of Mountain View, California. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Mike. It's good to be here. I'm glad I could take some time to to do this podcast with you. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, we we started um, knowing each other through coaching, uh, coaching youth sports um, here, and it's been a while since I've uh, talked and hung out with you here. Probably since the um, beginning of the pandemic, but uh, I just wanted to kind of give our audience um, a little bit about you. Uh, you know, your journey and uh, how did you end up being located where you are today? Well, that's a good question. Sometimes I ask myself that too. But, uh, <laughs> you know, from standpoint of where I am as far as my job, you know, got an accounting degree and went into accounting and then, you know, kind of got burnt out after a while. Uh, just yeah. long days, long hours, and decided, hey, I'm going to take a step back and see if there's another career path that might be more, uh, just more beneficial for a work-life balance. And I was doing coaching at the time, and I decided something similar to coaching was, uh, was uh, teaching, you know, because coaches are just teachers, but they teach the game, teach a basketball or whatever sport, you know? So I decided yeah. to go to San Jose State, got, you know, master's degree there, master's in education and curriculum, and then jumped into the classroom. And I just realized that, you know, that wasn't where I really wanted to be either uh, long-term. So instead of sticking around there longer than I should have i i got out and that was the point of time where i re really had to figure out okay one i'm not making any money two mm -hmm. uh so i needed to get something quick right i needed to find another position quickly uh i actually started working at uh 1-800-GOT-JUNK for a while and yeah. it was just a temporary thing I, I ended up working there for about six months in 2019 from like uh, mid mid year toward the end of the year in 2019, and it actually paid pre pretty well, like surprisingly. Uh, but those hours were pretty crazy because they they work up until midnight. So sometimes I wouldn't be out till you know I would be out till midnight, if not later, sometimes. And that's just you know driving a truck around at midnight, one two in the morning all over the Bay Area was was asking a lot. And uh, so that didn't really give me a balance for for what I was looking for either. And uh, decided to go back to accounting since it was something I knew, something I was familiar with. And I had lined up a coaching, the coaching job at St. Francis through actually my, the guy who had coached me in eighth grade he was coaching at, he had coached at Bellarmine, he had coached around, and he was, he got brought over to St. Francis to the, the varsity girls program over there. And mm -hmm. he'd been there for a year and he knew I was looking for another coaching opportunity. So he reached out to me. So I knew I had that lined up already. And I found a job, an accounting job in Mountain View uh, apparently did okay on the interview. They, you know, they extended an offer to me and it just worked out. You know, some things in life just, they fit, they work out perfectly. And the fact that I was going to be working in Mountain View and coaching in Mountain View, it just like, I couldn't pass up that opportunity. Uh, so that's, that's where I am at this point. You know, I've been working there for almost a year and a half now. I've uh, been mm -hmm. working a year, over a year at home since the pandemic, and it's been, it's been a crazy ride, you know, I've been doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but I feel like yeah. I'm in a good spot right now. You, you told me that you started off in accounting right after graduation, correct? Yeah. From San Jose State? Yeah. 
Um, you did that for maybe what, like a, a couple years um, here? So and... with accounting, yeah. So my accounting degree, I went to Cal Poly for accounting and then mm-hmm. was working with uh, a company in downtown San Jose doing sales and use tax, which I know it sounds pretty boring. <laughs> it was it was a little dry, but, you know, just yeah. uh, as a as a consultant doing sales and use tax returns for a bunch of different companies. Um, you know, I won't name any, but uh, it was interesting work, you know, just making sure we filed everything on time and as accurately as possible. I did that for about two years and then they shut down our, our office in San Jose and hmm. uh, didn't get a, an opportunity to do anything else within that company. But someone within that organization helped me land another position at uh, a startup in Palo Alto doing purely accounting work. So it was very different from what I was doing as far as you know sales and use tax, but it was yeah. more in line with what I had gotten my degree in. So I went to work in Palo Alto. It was a startup and their accounting, their accounting uh, team was very bare bones. I mean, and given the fact that they didn't have a lot of people on the team meant that everyone was expected to do a lot more than would be ordinarily expected of them. So it, there was just a lot of long hours, really long days and a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. And it was tough. You know, I, I, I put up with as, as much as I could, but mm-hmm. I, that was a, at that point I had to step back and, And it was just that time I had to take a step back and figure out I need to get some better balance in my life and, you know, try to reduce some stress. Yeah. You know, you talked about kind of starting your career in accounting um, and then you went to education and we can talk about that later in the episode here. But I guess uh, kind of throughout your career, was there like a habit or activity that you've consistently um have done to make you productive on a daily basis? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I was looking at this, thinking about this question and I would have to say ultimately like the most important habit is just understanding who I am, who, you know, what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are, uh, what I have to offer, what, what I can improve upon and try and do that as often as I can, you know. I I don't think mm-hmm. I've gotten to the point where I'm doing that on a daily basis, but I think if all if you know, if everyone can try and do that as often as they can, as often as possible, just looking themselves in the mirror and figuring out, hey, what what are some things that I can improve on? What are my strengths? Um, yeah. Where do I thrive? You know, why am I successful? Like, what? How did I get to this point? Why am I in a in this position? And what has what's successful about me as an individual? And then just building on mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, you know, I I think too many people, you know, as they progressed um, into their career and maybe into their 30s and 40s, they get too hung up um, on their weaknesses, you know, from what I've seen. And sometimes they evaluate their weaknesses and they think it's holding them back and it kind of stops them from kind of progressing um, here and strengthening themselves. So I think like sometimes people can overemphasize too much on their weaknesses. And sometimes as a person, we should be able to kind of look at our strengths and see how we can make those strengths even better, right? Do you think, do you agree with that at all? Or? Yeah, I mean, our strengths, we should be proud of them and we yeah. we shouldn't be ashamed of our weaknesses. Everybody has weaknesses. Uh, some are obviously greater than others, but it's, I think if you look at it as these weaknesses are something that are going to define you, you're it's always going to hold you back, you know? And I think that's kind of, it kind of falls in line with the 
like a growth mindset or a closed sort of a fixed mindset right like oh if yep. you believe that your weaknesses are are fixed then you're certainly not gonna not gonna grow you're not gonna be able to do anything to improve on them but if you think that you know these weaknesses are just something that are open to improve upon then you know you'll as long as you put in the work you'll be able to improve them and you know just move on from there but yeah i would agree with 100 yeah definitely we talked about strengths and weaknesses but have you managed to maybe had an unhealthy habit recently and was able to break it and if so how did you do it let's see recently um I won't. I'll, I don't know about a recent example, but <laughs> I used to actually bite my fingernails quite a bit. I don't know what it was mm. exactly, but I had done it for many years, and then I just realized, like, okay, it's time to time to stop. This habit's got to go. So I just I made it a priority. You know, I think if. If you make something a priority, you're going to spend more time thinking about it. You're just going to spend more time being actively involved in finding a solution. And I, I can't say for sure what it was exactly that helped me kind of get over the hump of, of not biting my fingernails when I was in a given situation. But I just know that I made it my number one priority because I didn't want to be that person who was, who had his fingers in his mouth and, you know, like, Oh, if he gets nervous yeah. chewing on his fingernails, uh, it's just didn't, ex it didn't demonstrate confidence. It wasn't a confident look. I felt like it just took away from what I was trying to put out into the world. So I made it a goal of mine to, to stop and I was successful and, you know, and it's something I can, be proud of at the end of the day that I don't do that. And it's just an annoying habit that I was able to get rid of. Was there like some, was there something in place um, in which enabled you to stop biting your fingernails? Was, did you uh, have some sort of um, mechanism or did you like, you know, have that rubber band technique, you know, where you, where you put that rubber band around your wrist. And then when you find yourself biting your fingernails, you'll kind of <laughs> slap that rubber band onto your skin um, here. Or, or was it just something that you kind of um, internally um, was aware of? Yeah, it was, I did actually try, you know, some kind of physical reminder. And I mean, it did work. For, it was a temporary thing. You know, I just uh, yeah. it worked for a little while. But Ultimately, it was something I had to internalize. And because I had been doing it so long, I think I had a lot of built up, uh, built, built up motivation to, to stop. So it was definitely more on the internal motivation category, you know, if, it's, if you're looking at external or internal. You know, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't reward myself for doing it. I just said, this has got to stop. So it, it was more... Yeah. Yeah, just just get it done. <laughs> yeah, you know, as a kid, I used to um, kind of chew on the outside part of my uh, my thumb um, here. I'm not sure um, what kind of what kind of scenarios um, you know caused me to do that, but you know, I still see like a slight scar, you know, on my on my thumb um, from doing that as a child, and I can just. I just can't imagine um, how you probably had those same habits growing up as a kid kind of transfer over when you were an adult, right? In terms of kind of like the fingernail chewing and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, there's yeah. just lingering things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's kind of talk about um, creativity and, and uh, your career and stuff. Was there another industry um, that kind of piqued your interest in terms of utilizing a creative side of you? Yeah. So in the back of my mind, there's always been this, this desire to do a uh, stand-up comedy. And uh, like, I don't know if I'm fit for it, but I've always considered myself to be on the funnier side. And I like making people laugh. 
Uh, I don't know if I could get up there on the stage and, you know, generate a bunch of new material. It's probably why I've never actually pulled the trigger on that. But, uh, yeah, I just, I could, there's just, I feel like there's some things that you want to do, but maybe you'll never actually try it. Like if, yeah. if that makes any sense, that would be something that I've always thought about doing, but I probably never end up, <laughs> I'll probably never end up doing it. Just, I never take that step. Do you think, do you think if you go up there, like say you put together something for like five, 10 minutes um, there, do you think you'll do pretty well? You know, up, you know, upstage, do you, can you like kind of visualize yourself going up there in front of like, um, you know, X number of people and, and um, just, just being, um, just being a comedian. Do you think, uh, do you think you'll excel? Mm -hmm. I, uh, I'm split on that. I think I'm always the type of person who wants to be overly prepared. So I would probably yeah. prepare the best I could for it, but I, I would never know until I actually got out there. Um, mm -hmm. I could, <laughs> I could see myself doing it though. And I think five to 10 minutes is yeah. probably enough. I don't think I could do a, you know, a whole 30, 30 to 60 minute set or anything, but you know, I could see myself doing st at least starting at five to 10 minutes. Awesome. You know, we talked about, um, you know, you earning an accounting degree. Um, out of college and worked within that field, you know, upon graduation, then you shifted your efforts um, over to the education field for a few years. Um, you said you earned your master's um, in that area. Did you learn a thing or two, you know, from education and, and teaching during that time? Oh, yeah, I definitely did. I mean, <laughs> doing the 18 month program was was very eye opening. I mean, I had no yeah. experience doing that. So learning about building curriculum and um, meeting learners where they are and, you know, just trying to figure out where the best place to start with with uh, each student. You know, it's a, it's a unique set of skills to be able to do that, to, to teach successfully. So I definitely learned yeah. a lot about how to teach but then being in the classroom was just so different than learning how to do it there's no substitute for actual experience and you know you had the student teaching mm -hmm. opportunities while i was still at san jose state but then once you have your own classroom and you're responsible for a hand you know your own class right you have 20 20 to 30 kids you're responsible for each of them and making sure that they're getting the best experience that they can and you got all the pressure that the parent that comes with the parents and you know having meetings with them making sure that you seem like you know what you're doing right because you're you're talking with the parents and they know you're a new teacher uh, you know you're a new teacher the kids know you're a new teacher everybody so everybody knows you have to basically pretend that you're not you have to pretend like you know what you're doing and uh yeah. you know be prepared every day can't can't really take any time off uh you have to always be um, analyzing you know what you're doing how you can be doing it better are you meeting all the students needs and i would say the number one thing i learned from being in the classroom is that no matter how, how many times you hear but yeah, every you know, there's so many different learning styles, and people learn differently. Like, you can you can hear that as many times as you want, but until you're actually teaching, until you actually witness all of these different learning styles in practice, right in front of you, and you're trying to meet all of their needs, that's when you can really see. Uh, you just see all these differences, right? Like one kid might do best in a group right where he's able to talk with other people some people do better some kids do better on their own some kids um, are visual like they need these visuals they need 
or other kids, they just need more guidance, right? You have the really independent kids who might be on the border of the next grade level on certain skills. And then you got some kids who, who might be really high in some areas, but then low in others. So you can't just, you cannot just give them one way of learning. You can't present information in one way. You have to think about, okay, have X number of learners. How am I going to deliver this in a way that it's going to meet all of their needs and then follow up with them and figure out, okay, assess what they learned. Did I, did I assess what I was looking for, right? Did I teach what I was supposed to teach? Did I, are they able to demonstrate what I wanted them to demonstrate? So it's just a constant uh, self-analysis. You're looking at their work, providing feedback on it. And I have, after that process, I just have so much respect, so much more respect for people who can be successful in the teaching field. And, you know, I think it gives a unique perspective uh, once my kids are going through school, once they start, you know, I think having that experience will ultimately help me at home with them, teaching them, and also, you know, understanding where the teachers are coming from when they are telling me different things or when they are shaping assignments for my kids. You know, I think I'll just be able to have a much broader understanding and a, definitely a deeper appreciation for for the teaching, the teacher and all the teachers out there. So, yeah, it's especially tough if you have a classroom with like 20 to 30 kids, you know, because to be honest with you with 30 kids, you can't really focus on everyone. And you are and you're right, everyone has a different type of learning style. Some people learn better visually, some people learn better. Um, you know, by by listening or by reading um, here or a combination of all these, all these. So, um, you know, as as a kid growing up, you know, my mom um, was a was a school teacher for over 25 years and I would attend some of the classes that she would teach. And and it could get hectic, you know, out there. Um, and it's and just hearing your story and growing up um, watching my mom um, go through her career. You definitely have a lot of respect for what teachers bring to the table um, here, and they probably don't get enough respect, you know, out there um, from from different industries. So, um, just you going through it and and kind of experiencing that is pretty cool. Yeah, I would agree with you. They definitely don't get the respect. I mean, the with the, the amount of work that they put in at the end of the day, you know, the paycheck does not. I would say it doesn't cut it because. You got, yeah, they're only in the classroom from eight to three, but they're preparing before class. They're preparing after class. Yeah, It's, you know, people think teaching, oh, come on, teachers are, that's easy, right? You're just in the classroom for six or seven hours. You get summers off. But realistically, that's not the case. And I mean, to, to have to put, not put up with kids, but to have to be in the classroom with, kids for seven hours it's really exhausting like you don't you you don't yeah. know how exhausting it is until you're actually in there um you know <laughs> guiding guiding kids and um organizing them and and just being there all the time with them it's you know physically and mentally exhausting at times and they don't get the respect that they truly deserve yeah was there a moment or two where you're like you know what maybe this education um degree isn't for me i want to come back into accounting or was it like a kind of gradual um step back uh, to where were, you are right now there were definitely some jarring experiences i had that made me second guess my my decision to become a teacher. I mean, we had, there were issues with certain students, um, 
<laughs> I won't go into too many details, but you know, I had some some students who definitely crossed the line behavior-wise. And being a first-year teacher, yeah. I didn't know exactly how to handle it, and it just made me reflect on myself. Like, am I doing things right? You know, did did I make this kid react in this way? But you know, I I think I put too much responsibility on myself and not enough on on their own behavior but uh yeah i just had some, <laughs> there were two instances where you know i will say uh a laptop was thrown on the floor you know just completely smashed and uh another instance when i was you know i was actually uh, not assaulted, but you know the kid hit me because he was frustrated. Uh, so <laughs> those were those were the two examples that I that yeah. just come to mind really quickly. And nope. yeah, you know, as as a first um, first year teacher, and that could be very traumatizing, and it's it's very unfortunate because you who knows maybe if you maybe if you left that one year. Um, Without those experiences, maybe it would have um, helped you um, kind of build your education career um, there. And, you know, at least like you had something to kind of go back on um, and you have like, you know, two two degrees. So it's like, OK, well, maybe this isn't right for me and I can go back into, you know, what I studied um, for undergrad um, here. But most people, they think, OK, I did this for my master's. I need to co- I need to continue doing this, even if I'm feeling. Miserable. Yeah, I was fortunate in that sense that I did have something else to fall back on. And, yeah, I was I was also fortunate to be able to take that time between accounting and. And teaching to go pursue that degree. You know, I, I know a lot of people probably don't have that luxury, but I was able to you know, not work during that time. And I was very fortunate and, you know, it, it allowed me to do what I was yep. trying to do. And, and did it work out? No, it didn't work out the way I planned it. You know, m- most things don't work out the way we plan it. But um, you know, I, like <laughs> yeah. you said, I, I was able to fall back on what I had done initially when I went to school for. And now, you know, things are, things are fine. <laughs> You know, sometimes that saying, the grass isn't greener on the other side, right? Like, we think, like, if we pursue something and we reach that end goal, we're going to be happier. And maybe sometimes, you know, what we started with was, you know, what was uh, right all along. So that kind of reminds me of uh, your story. Yeah, I mean, I I know when I was miserable, (laughs) I was just thinking, man, there's got to be anything else that would be better than this. And I think that's an easy thing to fall into, you know, just if things aren't going your way, then it's, it's easy to, to think it's, it's better. It's gotta be better somewhere else. But, you know, I think our attitude has a lot to do with whatever our mindset is at the time. You know, we have a lot of control over our situation up to a certain extent. So I think we need to exercise that control as much as we can. And, um, you know, make the best of where we are. Yeah. Absolutely. hundred percent agree with you. Well, tell me how you got into um, coaching. You're, you're a varsity um, coach uh, for a high school team um, there. How did you get into uh, youth sports? Well, so that's a good question. Um, thinking back, I would say, um, you know, there was a point Uh, where I just felt something was missing, you know, something was just Mm -hmm. missing. And I I took some time to figure out what that was. And actually someone suggested, hey, why don't you try coaching? And this was just like, you know, a light bulb going off or one of those aha moments where, you know, I was kind of kicking myself, honestly, the fact that I didn't think of it on my own. But uh, I started, you know, I reached out to a local uh, basketball league, NJB, you know, um, and then yeah, they were looking for coaches. Uh, I signed up, had no problem getting a team of my own and, you know, went to 
went to the tryouts to observe those players. And then that's when we met. <laughs> I remember we were taking notes on all these potential players <laughs> and uh, we just got to talking and then saw each other again at the draft. You know, when we had to draft and make our own teams and then we kind of kept in communication during that year. And then after, uh, you know, we had the all-star experience. So that was fun doing that. You asked me mm -hmm. to help you out with that. And then that sort of evolved into AAU. You know, you had your AAU team and you allowed me to yeah. come out and, and participate in that when I was able to. So that was, you know, kept me kept me in the game and kept me uh, wanting to learn more. And I just, once I started, yeah. I just had this thirst for, for knowledge about you know how to how to build my my uh, you know how to just get more get more and more skills that I can teach to uh, broaden my uh, my knowledge as a coach and then you know really focus on what's going to make players better and things that I've learned over my uh, years teaching here is just um, you know how to how to reach players and meet them where they are you know trying to figure out what they're good at what they're not good at and then you know constantly learning i'm always watching things or i'm always reading new uh, like listening to podcasts i'm watching coaching clinics books and uh, newsletters and all all sorts of things to to try and learn as much as I can so that I can give more to my players. And I feel like there's never enough. I never know enough. There's always more to learn. And I, I look at it as a challenge, you know, it's, it's fun. Coaching is, is a challenge, but as a competitive person, I feel like it's a great fit for me. You know, I love to, win yeah. but ultimately at the end of the day i love to to teach the game and i i just want to make an impact with my players and you know that with my njb team there's there's nothing like getting these uh these players who had really poor experiences with prior coaches and they just you know they come up to to you after the season or even during the season and they're like Coach, we we really like the way you coach us. We we appreciate that you're understanding with us, that you don't yell at us, that uh, that you like teaching. It, it really seems like you enjoy being around us, and you know that's it's really worthwhile once you once you get that positive feedback. So it kind of reinforces some of the things that you're doing. And, uh, you know, like with the all-star team, you know, we had those kids and they, they just, they're so appreciative of what you're doing with them. And it, it makes you feel like, I yeah. mean, you don't even think you're doing that much in their life, but when, when they react like that, it just reminds you what kind of an impact you can have. And it's something that you don't want to, undervalue or un, you know it's just something to appreciate like once once you hear hear those things and you get those little messages and appreciation it's like wow I, i'm actually having an impact with these kids and i know i know i'm sure you can speak to that as well yeah, and for our audience who um, don't know what NJB stands for, it's, it stands for National um, Junior Basketball Association, from what I recall. And basically, it's like an organization um, that's spread out. Um, I think it's mainly through California, right, Patrick? Uh, or is I that think throughout it's throughout the, the U.S. Because I know when, when I was playing, okay. we ended up playing teams from all over. But it's definitely pretty heavy in California, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like a um, a youth organization um, here. Uh, I think it goes up to eighth grade or so. 
Um, so each great level, um, they get about like maybe five or six teams for each each of their county. So Patrick and I, we actually coached within that same county, but we had our both um, different respect, respective teams. And we would always kind of um, bump into each other. We would share the same gym together doing practices, uh, play each other, um, maybe a couple games a season um, here. And it was a great foundation for us um, to learn the game, to coach the game, um, as opposed to if we kind of started off at AAU or started off like at a high school, maybe JV high school team. And we started like getting our butts kicked. Right. I thought like the NJB was a perfect foundation for us um, to kind of propel our passion for the game here. And it gave us a little bit of success too. Um, so I think that really helped because I brought you along um, for AAU and we realized right away that, if winning was the only factor, we were not going to be happy because we got our butts kicked almost every single game. I remember the first game we coached together, you know, we lost by like 80 points or something. <laughs> it was like, it was like a 80 to yeah. 10 game yeah, or something like that. And, those ones. <laughs> and I realized, <laughs> and I realized right away, I realized during that season where um, winning is not everything um, here and you have to find, um, you have to find your why behind why you're coaching and like what you mentioned, you know, having that impact, you know, on your players, um, here, making them develop, um, you know, having that, uh, team morale, those are the things that you kind of look forward to in coaching. And if it's all about winning, you're just going to be hugely disappointed and you're not going to be, um, in that yeah, industry I think in the long NJB run. was a great platform to, you know, get our, foot in the door, get some experience in a low pressure environment. I mean, it d didn't matter if we won or lost that, you know, those, that, that was not important. It was, yeah, like you said, it's, it's making the connections with these kids. It's giving them some experience that they're going to look back on and re remember fondly. You know, I remember looking back on my basketball playing days and, you know, I can still remember the coaches who had an impact with me and, you know, if I can be something like that to some of my players, then I've done my job. And I think it, it inspires me to, to keep getting better and figure out how I can better reach my team, you know, my players. And it's, it, it's, uh, I, I also agree with you, you know, if we had stepped in to AEU or to a high school program. And, you know, that's a lot of, a lot of pressure comes with that. You know, winning is an expectation. People don't want to have time to, to wait for you to, to build something. A lot of the times, you know, it's, you got to yeah. win now. Right. And a lot, many times it's, you're, you're a product of the team you have, you know, coaches can only do so much. And yeah. in AAU, you know, we were getting our heads handed to us often. Uh, we weren't winning tournaments. We weren't winning a lot of games. But finding those little moments, finding small successes in in those losing experiences and, and you know, making those teaching opportunities, I think we can instill a lot of positives even though we're not even though we're not winning you know we can learn a lot in the experience and the score you know as long as we're Definitely. as long as our process is as long as we emphasize our process and focus on that then you know bill walsh said it that the score will take care of itself really uh, we can't really control the score a lot of times, but if you have the processes in place for success, then, you know, eventually you will, you will win, you know, as long as you stick to your beliefs and, you know, need to make winning a priority as long as you focus on the things you can control. 
It sounds like a <laughs> locker room speech you've given many times in the past, Patrick. You know, you and I, you know, we've given yeah. too many of these these type of speeches that it all sounds very yeah. familiar. You know, <laughs> you know, um, you know, we had the pandemic this past year, and I think like your team didn't play right this whole season or the whole year. Um, what are some challenges you guys have faced? You know, from time off, off away from the game and have you been in touch I with your players? I have been in touch with them. Uh, I think I could have done a better job to to be in touch with them more. Um, but I would say some of the challenges are just, you know, maintain, maintaining that team camaraderie. Uh, these kids are being pulled in a million different directions. Um, so our season yeah. last year ended in in March 2020, I was, you know, we finished our mm -hmm. NorCal tournament at the very beginning of March. And then a couple weeks later is, is when they shut that whole tournament down. So in California, no high school team was able to go to Sacramento to play for a NorCal championship. Um, so as of March, it got shut down. Um, we didn't play much over the summer. We started get, getting back into it um, in, I would say, mid to late summer. Doing, we were, fort we were fortunate to be able to do some skill work, uh, but we hadn't been able to play true basketball for quite a while and it's just been until recently when you know the restrictions were loosened in California where we're able to actually play against each other so uh you, I mean there's obvious the you know kids get rusty if they're not playing um we hope that our kids are playing on their own but we want them to be safe you know we we uh we encourage we encourage them to to play in, we put, encourage them to play club basketball, but, you know, um, we want them to be safe. So as long as they're being safe, yeah. uh, we, we want them to, we, over the summer, we were hoping to, to be able to play more, but uh, we know that a lot of the schools are in the same situation, you know, not expecting our kids to be, as they would normally be coming back into school. And, you know, basketball season got pushed into the spring and we're having to coordinate having some players that want to do two sports, right? This year we're open to people doing two sports during the spring. So that's a unique challenge that only we're only seeing this year. So it's our motto is flexibility this year. Uh, flexible with the scheduling up into a certain extent we have to be like this week we're we're getting rolling you know things are starting uh, this week to be to be serious we're going to be expecting more uh, more focus from our players more than they're used to over the last six months really more expectations and uh, you know we're, we're ready to get our season rolling I know the head coach we've just been ready for this for so long and we're happy to actually get going and see our players play against each other and compete against each other and it's fun to be back in the gym and and seeing them battle against each other yeah it's you know a year off is it's a very long time and Sometimes you kind of um, you're concerned about, you know, how they would progress or, you know, if they're working out on their own, if they're training, but nothing really replicates real life competition. Right. And we kind of see it like in the NBA where sometimes these rookies um, right now, they didn't really get a full training camp or like a full preseason um, here. And some of them are struggling. Some of them have gotten injured. You know, guys like LaMelo Ball, James Wiseman, um, they're mostly most likely done for the season, you know, due to injuries. And I think that's, 
mainly because you know they're not well conditioned or they haven't had real competition before they started the season. And you know, I'm hoping that your players, you know, they they get up to speed um, with all that and that they kind of stay yeah, safe. Yeah, it's and something that we are process. concerned with as well. I know as a school, uh, the trainers are ready for more injuries. Uh, just with all that time off, you know, there's, there should be an mm. expectation that kids aren't ready. We are going to do our best to, to get them ready, but to expect their bodies to be fully ready, I think that might be naive. So, you know, we're praying, we're hoping that yeah. people stay healthy, with, you know, not getting sick, you know, no COVID, mm. no, no serious injuries. But, you know, basketball is a game of, you know, where injuries happen, you know, things, things you can't control certain things, uh, but we're going to do our best to, to prepare, to get, get our, our legs strong, to uh, be well conditioned and, you know, playing, practicing with masks on too is something that I never thought I'd ever see in a million years, but it's just part of you know it's normal now it's a it's a new normal uh, the kids don't like it of course but i think they've almost gotten used to it too yeah yeah definitely here and uh you know just hoping that everyone stays safe and healthy and and you guys have a very successful season you know coming up here you know, as we conclude our episode, we usually go through a rapid fire um, segment, Patrick. So the rules are, you know, I ask you some, qu- you know, a quick question. And the only rule eight is seconds. that you okay, try to answer it in eight seconds or less. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. Yeah. Ready? <laughs> okay. So the first question for you would be, name the first word that comes to mind about this podcast mm-hmm. recording so far. Uh, let's see. I would say informative. Okay. Um, who is your favorite sports athlete of all time and why? Oh, man. Michael Jordan. Uh, I know that's a common one, but watching him in his prime was just like there was nothing nothing else like it. His, his competitiveness and the edge that he brought to this game is just, yeah, he's an icon, you know. Yeah, and in my in my opinion, I I think he's the goat. Um, people in this modern era think it's LeBron here, but if you grew up in the '90s, um, you kind of saw all the games that Michael Jordan played in the playoffs and all the games he refused to lose in the finals. Um, here, so I'm always going to think he's the greatest. <laughs> yeah, of yeah all just time. an opinion, right? Just my opinion too. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, next question for you: What is something most people do easily, mm-hmm. but you find very difficult? Let's see. I would say, I mean, cooking, I think a lot of people make it look easy, but (laughs) it's not for me. Yeah. (laughs) Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? Let's see. Study more. Has a book ever changed your life? If so, which uh, yeah, one and I why? love reading. Uh, I think one book recently that has has definitely changed the way I, I look at things is the Urban Meyer book, Above the Line. It's a great book. I would recommend it for anybody. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic. I mean, it's just a leadership. He's a football coach. There's a lot of a lot of things I drew from his coaching experiences to. Um, to basketball as well, but yeah, it's a great book. Yeah, a lot of these coaches they make really um, well. They publish a lot of good books out there. You know, John Wooden. Yeah, has, ultimate has a lot right of there. Um, good material too. Yeah, <laughs> I know you have a couple children, uh, Patrick. But what career do you hope they they pursue, and what career would you uh, never want them to get question. into? I mean, I just I want them to do what what they want to do, you know, whatever makes them happy. Like my daughter wants to be a vet and that's all she talks about. So I hope she becomes a vet. 
my son wants to do, uh, yeah. I think he wants to be a police officer or a firefighter at this point. Uh, those are, you know, that's a dangerous job. So yeah. I don't know if I would want him to do that, but you know, if that's mm. something he wants to do, then to who am I to say? <laughs> all right last question for you who is your favorite sports coach of all favorite time sports coach of all time uh i'm gonna go with bill walsh because he's a niners coach and also he has another great book out there uh, the score takes care of itself another one i would recommend but he just revolutionized football in so many ways and coaching and i mean a lot of the things they do nowadays are based on what Bill Walsh has done. And anytime you watch football, uh, you're watching things that he's created and just, he's a revolutionary mind. Yeah, excellent choice. And uh, another book that I've read too. So I read your Urban Myers um, recommendation. And I also read the, the Bill Walsh book. So uh, two very, very excellent books about um not just coaching yeah, and so sports but uh, just life lessons in general next time i'm gonna pick a book that you haven't read i'm gonna try and do that <laughs> all right uh you know as we wrap up uh, this week's episode um where's one place people can uh, find you either on the world wide web or um, uh, if they want to contact you patrick twitter um i can provide that um let me let me put that out there so my Twitter handle is one second. So it's trying to look it up right now, just so I make sure I can give the give everyone accurate information here. I'm not giving someone some somebody else's <laughs> Twitter here. Um, let's see. It is so it's at Coach Wait Twenty Four. And yeah, again, it's at Coach Wait Twenty Four. Yeah, we can also put that in the show notes um, too, as well. Here, Patrick, thanks for coming on to the show, sharing your story um, here, kind of talking about your coaching journey and and kind of like the challenges um, you have faced in your career and stuff. It's just very good to hear back from you. You know, it's been a little while, and uh, hopefully, we can yeah, get something would, to eat or get get a drink sometime. That. And yeah, it was great to to talk with you. Is this a good experience for me to just talk about a variety of topics? And yeah, I had fun. I had fun. And who knows? I might go and uh, do some stand up comedy after this. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, if 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 my podcast helps. Um, you know, helps you discover, you know, something <laughs> like that. And I'll be, uh, I'll be one happy man. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks guys for listening. That's the show for today. Take care.